Now, all of you are cheering against the Packers for sure because you want the Seahawks to get into the playoffs. That's okay. I like the Seahawks too. Um, but I digress. As soon as I get all my stuff situated here. There we go. Well, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Christmas Eve season, uh, crazy time. We relocated. I don't, I don't know how many of you were able to join us online, um, but that's a pretty amazing plan B <laughs> that uh, I was thinking about. Man, we didn't even know how to do that a couple years ago. We would have just had to cancel our Christmas Eve service, which is so disappointing. Uh, I, you know, we're excited for that. We work on that. Uh, I'm aware of families, you know, where we've got family members that are coming and excited to bring them to church and invitations that are made and accepted, and then, and then it doesn't happen. Uh, so that's a huge disappointment. But still, um, what a blessing it is to be able to just even be at home, and if you're watching it on TV, um, watching the live stream, it's a way that we can worship together and uh, to, to be together even though we're not together and recognize what a significant moment this is that we celebrate every single year, but it's the coming of Christ and how important and meaningful that is in our faith. And so today, I want to build um, on what Phil spoke about last week, and he kind of wrapped up our, our Advent series, which was called Making Room in Advent. And I really, really appreciate the point that he made about uh, some of the characters in that story. We've got Elizabeth. We kind of spent our time uh, talking a lot about Mary and Elizabeth and Zechariah. And uh, especially the, the point that he made about Elizabeth and Zechariah, you know, you're never too old, or in Mary's case, too young to play an important, an important, important role in God's plan. Those characters in their context at that time, you know, society would have seen them as they were not necessarily the, the, part, the heavy, they're not doing all the heavy lifting in society. But yet God so often reaches out, sees people who are on the margins and includes them in his story in very, very significant ways. And so the point he made, you know, last week about you're never too old, you're never too young to be used uh, vitally or play an important role in God's plan, man, that's something that we need to hear. And I'm always drawn to the old guy in the story, Zechariah, because he was a priest, you know, he was the professional God follower, so I kind of, you know, pay attention to those folks in, in the Word. And um, he should have gotten it right the first time when the angel appeared to him, and he didn't human. But you know he finished well, and that's God's grace to each and every single one of us. We might not get it right the first time. We should try. Definitely should try. It goes a lot better for us if we get it right the first time. But if you don't, it's not over. Finish well. Finish well. That's God's grace to us. The other thing Phil spoke about is something that we call kairos moments. And, uh, you know, we're using different language. We've kind of, I, I introduced that one about a year ago. 
Uh, and there's a beauty in shared language, like when we all start to use it and we talk about it, we recognize, oh, that's what you mean. Uh, in, in the life of our church, Kairos moments is kind of new. We talk about God stories. What we mean are these moments where God breaks in. We realize, like, that's God, or that's the Spirit prompting me, um, or, or this is the Lord's invitation, like heaven breaking into earth. That's a Kairos moment. And we can learn to be aware of those. Uh, it's not just a can. This is a should. Something that all followers of Jesus, we need to sharpen our skills to recognize like, oh, this is the Lord. And sometimes it's completely obvious. There's an angel, right? With Mary and Zechariah and, and Elizabeth. Uh, but most of the time, it's not going to be an angel. It's going to be very subtle. And we can sharpen those skills as followers of Jesus to recognize like, that is God's voice, and here's what I'm going to do with that. And so as a church, we're kind of on a, on a mission, I guess. This is going to take um, multiple years. It's going to take time for us as a, as a body of Christ. Uh, if we already don't know how to do this, but just to, sh- just to um, learn how to do this better. And so January, January is often a month associated with New Beginnings. And I used to, in January, I'd, I'd give this message. I kind of had this, like, regular thing that I would do the first couple weeks in January. And uh, it all was kind of focused on, hey, people are making New Year's resolutions. They're trying to make new starts on things. Like, here's a great opportunity to reflect on the last year and invite God into that process and see what, you know, Lord, what should we do this next year? And we heard from the Lord this morning, you're supposed to run a half marathon. So they're, right? Um, I'm just kidding. So I haven't done that for a couple years because maybe it's, maybe it's just my stage in life. Like, really? Another New Year's resolution? Like, half the people in the United States don't even make New Year's resolutions. Uh, if you're on social media this year, like, it's like a backlash. The number of celebrities and folks saying, hey, not making New Year's resolution this year. You know, you don't have to do that. Like, I needed their permission. Um, but... New Year's resolutions, it's kind of weird. You know, uh, all the best studies and surveys show that, uh, actually, this, here's a piece of trivia to you. How long does the average New Year's resolution last? One week? Two weeks? One month? Or longer? Four days. Four days. <laughs> now, nobody knows... Um, it's not very long. Let's just put it that way. Uh, they, they, you know, they'll look at like six months out, and, and they'll only be like uh, a very, like barely double digits. People still track, tracking with their New Year's resolutions. But if you, if you see the, the studies or surveys where it's at the end of the year, you know, people who don't make goals don't make any changes. You know, those numbers are practically zero, but, but folks who do set out to, you know, maybe there's a lot of attrition, but there actually is a lot of people who do make significant changes. And um, so we've got a goal this year. We're going to learn how to recognize Kairos moments. Um, no, actually, this is all meant to be a segue into what I want to talk about because New Year's resolutions, you know, you see these like, why do we do that? I'm looking for my marker. Here we go. Um, I think why we do that, to me, is, is proof 
of the existence of God. Because we realize we need to make changes. We want to get better. We want to improve. Like there's something inside of us, human beings, that just wants to do that. Why? And why is it so hard to make changes? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. So uh, in Luke chapter 4, we read about the temptation of Christ. And I know you probably really, Dan, you're just going, you go from New Year's resolutions to temptations. Yeah. And uh, I want you to pay attention to this as I read this passage. Um, Beyond the temptations, so this is Jesus in the wilderness and the devil shows up. Beyond the temptations itself, I want you to pay attention to the way that the devil talks to Jesus, okay? And so we're going to put the screen, uh, the words up on the screen for you. I'm going to read them. This is Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you're the Son of God... Tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man or human beings shall not live on bread alone. The devil said to him, or the devil led him up to a high place next and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, It will be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil then led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, It is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Well, that last phrase uh, is kind of sinister, isn't it? He left him until an opportune time. Dun, dun, dun. Like, we know he's coming back. But did you notice how the devil spoke to Jesus? He uses a lot of ifs, doesn't he? If. You are the Son of God. This is important for us, instructive for us as followers of Jesus, because the devil is coming after Jesus' identity. And by no small coincidence, often the the thing that short-circuits us is this question of identity. And it short-circuits our best efforts to follow the Lord and be transformed to him. So this morning, I, I want to share with you something that's called the Jesus-Shaped Journey. And this is something that I've uh, learned over the last year from a, a, a new friend of mine. His name is Sean Bloomquist. I met Sean uh, at a, a retreat last year that I attended. And, um, and now I spent a once, really once a week for the last, I like really since November of last year, I sit with Sean on a Zoom call, and there's probably five, six, seven, eight other pastors that are part of this discipleship group that we're a part of. And we learn stuff like this. 
And this is called the Jesus Shape Journey. And the first time I saw it, Sean was sharing, and he just said, you know, I found this really helpful tool um, that's really encouraged my walk with Jesus, my relationship with, with, with God. And it only takes 10 minutes. I want to show it to you. And then uh, we actually were, it was a part of this retreat. And so then we had the rest of the day to kind of choose our own adventure, go do whatever we want. Uh, but I realized I just kept thinking about it the rest of the day. And so this is what he said. He said, we see the shape of Jesus' own spiritual journey when we look at Luke chapters 3 and 4. And this is a, a tool, he called it, a helpful tool um, that is, or this, you know, Luke chapters 3 and 4, this journey of Jesus is really reflected in our own spiritual journey, our own faith journey. And uh, this really simple tool helps kind of take the mystery out of what's happening in us or maybe what short circuits us as we think about spiritual formation and growth and becoming more like Jesus. And so um, he started out sharing. He says, um, in Luke chapter 3, Jesus is standing next to John in the River Jordan, and he's baptized. In Luke chapter 3, verse 21 When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, saying, You are my Son, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. And so this is what we call, call, uh, actually Jesus' call the ministry. Okay? Luke chapter 3, it's where... His whole ministry starts. He's baptized. This, he hears his father's voice. The spirit comes down upon him like a dove. And as followers of Jesus, we hear this call too. This is how when we put our faith in Jesus, I mean, this is how God feels about us. Um, we have a heavenly father who claims us, who loves us who's pleased with us. And I don't know about you, but as a part of my own faith journey, it's really hard for me to believe that last part. Like, really, God is pleased with me? Like I'm waiting for the lightning to strike, right? That's so obviously wrong in my mind. But all of us have that. Somewhere along the line in my theology, I learned that God's not pleased with me. And so it's really, 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 really hard for me. I, can, I, I know God loves me. Uh, I know God claims me. But is he really pleased with me? You know, when I think about my own relationship with my kids, I love them. I like them. And occasionally things happen where I am really, really, really not pleased with them. And if you ask them, I'll, I'll let them know. Usually. Um, very directly, but that doesn't change the fact that I s- still claim them, love them, like them, am proud of them. And so why would I think God's so different when he looks at me? It's my own stuff. What about you? Have you ever heard God say that to you? 
Maybe it was during your baptism. You had one of these moments where it felt like the Spirit broke in and zapped you and you just felt in the presence of God. Uh, Maybe you heard that the moment you gave your life to Jesus when you fully surrendered. Maybe you hear that uh, in times of prayer that, you know, you're my daughter, you're my son, whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. Can you hear that? Well, then in Luke chapter 4, as we consider this kind of paradigm that we see here, Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit, mind you, into the wilderness. I'm just going to go down. Into the wilderness. And there we find, uh, uh, I'll read it for you, Luke 4, 1 and 2, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. And the timing here is absolutely incredible. I mean, think about this. Jesus just has this amazing encounter with God. I mean, wouldn't you say that's pretty amazing, right? You see the Spirit coming down like a dove descending, alighting upon Jesus voice from heaven. That's pretty incredible, right? And then immediately he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness where the devil shows up and tempts him. You know, often I assume that it's when I'm at the lowest point in my life, okay, or I have, I've had a, a series of really bad days, that's when I'm most vulnerable. I better look out because the devil's coming after me. I'm going to be tempted. Not always the case, is it? Sometimes it's when we're at the highest point in life. Uh, Actually, we need to be on our guard at all times. This is how temptation works. I mean, some people look at that and go, oh, it's the Spirit tempting, you know, leading Jesus into temptation. Isn't that the Lord's Prayer? We're praying that God would not lead us into temptation. Is this what that's talking about? Well, that, that actually, that word temptation can also mean trials or testing. It's like pleading, Lord, please don't lead me into times of testing. This is how temptations work. Even when we're at our fullest faith point, we feel full of the Holy Spirit, you know, we can encounter temptation during our high moments in life, during our low moments of life. These challenges arise. And so this is kind of our second, if our first landmark, we'll call that, is our call. This... We're going to call challenge. Kind of the, the low point here in the wilderness. We face challenges uh, of all different sites and tort, or all different types and sorts. Uh, here, Satan challenges Jesus around who he is, his identity. Verse three: If you're the Son of God, then prove it. You know, in our own battle with temptation, our own spiritual journey, where we're trying to become more like Jesus, it's important to understand this. You know, at the root of all these temptations that we encounter from day to day, week to week, month to month, it's a spiritual battle, a spiritual battle for our identity. You know, who am I and whose am I? I'm God's son. I'm God's daughter. That's who I am and whose I am. And I found it really helpful over the last year uh, to label these 
temptations of Jesus into three categories. And the three categories are our appetites, Uh, it is our ambitions, and I'm sorry for the people standing behind me, you can't see this yet, and our need for approval. I ran out of space there on the edge of the board. These are kind of the three basic categories uh, that I found really helpful when you, you look at the temptations of Jesus. You think about this as a paradigm for our own spiritual journey and growth and what happens to us. Um, I, it's really, really helpful. For example, appetites. Turn these stones into bread. Jesus is hungry. Satan tempts him. And how many times do our own appetites get the best of us? You know, being hungry, yes, part of the human experience. But then we take it too far, don't we? Our appetites, you know, the, the, our, our bodily desires for... we. We eat too much. We drink too much. We have sex too much. Is that possible? Yes. These are the things, the, the, the desires in us that well up. And like, I need that. My body says, I need that. I want that. This is how God has made us. But it gets twisted. And we overdo it. And these things are destructive to our own health but also in our relationships with others. Appetites can short, our appetites can short-circuit so much in our life. Not God's way. Uh, second category, oh yeah, I should probably say, so, so what do you do? You're, you're like, oh, I just need to have more self-discipline, right? I need more willpower. Well, maybe. But it's also important to know why we overdo things. I mean, there's lots of reasons why appetites get the best of us. I mean, it feels good, right? It's pleasure. Uh, sometimes stress, I know nobody here is a stress eater, right? Ever. I mean, these things take over. Boredom. Why don't, why do, why do we do, why do these things sometimes get the best of us? Uh, there's lots of reasons. But at the root here, why this is a weed in our spiritual life is, Somewhere along the line, we don't believe that God's enough. When Jesus says in John 7, hey, come to me, all of you who are thirsty. Um, whoever believes in me, you know, let everyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Rivers of living water will flow through them. Isn't Jesus talking about our appetites? I mean, more than just that. But really this is about, do I believe God's enough? Can I really find rest in Jesus? When Jesus says, come to me all of you who are burdened, weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. I mean, these are things that we have to soak up as followers of Jesus to help we or pull out these weeds that grow up in our life. Another one of these uh, categories, ambition. Ambition. When, when the devil says, hey, see all these you know, uh, kingdoms of the world here, I'll give them to you if you just worship me. That has to do with ambition or maybe more like power and control. And the way temptation works, as I mentioned before, is it twists what God has given us 
or put inside of us and um, makes it into something that's not God or turns it against God. It's sin. Uh, we're talking about ambition. It's okay to work hard. It's okay to have goals. It's okay to be organized. It's okay to uh, have initiative to really go after stuff. But there's a line, isn't there, where this becomes uh, more, I'm building my own kingdom than I am God's kingdom. Or, you know, we, we see it in others in the world. We're like, oh, that's just naked ambition. They're just so full of pride, chasing after, driven these things. And yet these can take over and dominate our lives as well. Ambition. How do we deal with ambition? Well, as I mentioned, this has to do a lot with just our need for control. Uh, young, and when I was younger, uh, especially when my kids were younger, I was early in my career, I felt this one a lot. Like, oh, I just want to achieve. I want to go get stuff. I want to make something of myself. I don't know that that was necessarily God. That had a lot to do with my own ego. Um, whenever we're talking about ambition, the invitation here is God's in charge, right? Do I believe that? God's in control. God is sovereign. This is like when we struggle with ambition, there's really this wrestling for power and control between us and God. So inviting God into that space instead. Uh, the third one, Satan comes, he's like, hey, you know, throw yourself from the temple and all of these. He actually uses scripture to tempt Jesus. Impressive, right? Uh, and this we broadly classify as our need for approval. Our need for approval. Uh, Henry Nouwen talks about this, and he has this wonderful little book called In the Name of Jesus, and he talks about the temptations of Christ. And he labels this one as our temptation to be spectacular. Do something awesome. Prove it. Show us that God really loves you, that you're special. And um, this one is especially tempting for those of you that are good at stuff. Uh, you like to be noticed. You like to be applauded. You like to be liked, patted on the back. I mean, all of us like that at some point. That's okay. But there's a point where it starts driving the truck, the train, the boat, whatever. And especially if you're in a leadership position, you're going to have uh, many points where you disappoint people, right? You can't always make people like you. Uh, not everyone is going to. Sometimes the best and most wise decisions will be really, really, really unpopular. And if you're driven by a need to find approval in others, you're going to be just miserable. And so how do you overcome that? Well, it's just like these others. Jesus is always saying, hey, what does my father say? Well, my father says, uh, you're my son who I love and I'm well pleased. In you, I'm well pleased. Can you believe that God actually likes you? You know, if he was going to climb up on a cross and die for you, doesn't that imply that he wants you? Why all this is important is because we get stuck down here. 
in the valley of challenge, the, the pit of despair. Uh, as a pastor, you know, I see not just my own life, but in the lives of others. It's the, it's the people who were happily married when they were in their 20s and 30s, and then by their 40s, there's a divorce, there's an affair, there's a, you're like, what in the world happened? Usually it has to do with one of these three things. And we go through seasons in our life where we might overcome or push through or whatever, and then, but we've never really dealt with the root problems here. And at some point, you just get stuck, and you can't climb out on the other side, and so you give up. Did Jesus give up? No. He pushed through it. He listened to the voice of his father. He came up on the other side. This is what I need. Dry erase marker, because I am such a good artist. You see the kind of third landmark here on this side. We'll call this completion. Luke chapter 4, um, verses 14. It says, Jesus comes out of the wilderness having faced these adversary or these um, temptations in the power of the Holy Spirit. So he went into the wilderness full of the Spirit. He pushes through. He comes out in fullness and power of the Holy Spirit. And he announces uh, in verses 18 and 19, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He's quoting Isaiah because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He set me free to, uh, uh, he sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so as a follower of Jesus, there is no way that you're, we're going to make it through life without facing temptation. And uh, because we're broken people, even though we've been redeemed, the Holy Spirit is working on transforming us. And believe it or not, we can actually deal with those temptations and learn how to overcome them in the power and fullness of the Holy Spirit. It's absolutely possible. Um, my, my drug of choice is, as I mentioned before, the need for approval. And I never really noticed it. I think that one actually is one of the ones that you're not, you're, if, you have, if you struggle with appetites, like you notice that, others notice that. Um, you know, ambition, you're probably aware of that. The, the need for approval, I didn't really notice that because it had never really been a problem. But I was always really good at things. And so, you know, whether it was grades or sports or whatever growing up or early in my career, I got lots of, um, you know, pats on the back because at that point I wasn't the, the senior leader. And so I could always be the good cop. I could always be the good guy. And I didn't really, it never became a problem at all until a few years ago I went through some very intense grief. I lost my sister. I lost my dad. Uh, then the pandemic came, and it, I, to me, it felt like everybody hated me, but they didn't. Um, there was all of this gunk, and I, and I was stuck, all because I wasn't getting the approval that I was used. I'm really good at all this stuff, guys. Hey, look at me. Look at No. And so you start to quit. You get stuck down here. You get sidetracked. 
And the issue is not listening to the Father's voice. Not recognizing the places that he's breaking in. And he wants to give you freedom and joy and purpose and healing and, and all sorts of stuff if we listen to him and do what he says. And so as, as a church, as individual believers, you know, um, you can make these goals and you can go out and accomplish them on your own. Uh, way to go. It's always much easier when there's a group. You want to run a half marathon, you can train on your own, or you can train with a group. It's a lot easier. God's given us one another. He's given us community. He's given us the body of Christ to face the challenges that we'll inevitably face and that will come at us from every single direction and every avenue that we can imagine. But we can overcome this in the power of the Holy Spirit, the process of redemption and sanctification that God has each and every single one of us on. That's the Christian life. We don't just become Christians and say, yay, I'm going to heaven someday, and then the rest of, the li rest of life is a train wreck. No. God's meant for the rest of our life to be this joyful, um, purpose-filled amazing experience. Yeah, there's hard stuff along the way, but we have the hope, we have the peace, we have the power and presence of God living inside of us. And so as a church, like, this is what we want to keep doing. We want to learn how to do better. We, we want to invite others into this so that they can see and be a part of it too. That's the journey we're on. Please join me in prayer. Lord, thank you for this morning, um, for this time that we have to be together in worship. Sometimes we really need one another. We need one another when we have those dark days. We need one another when it's difficult, when we have doubts, when maybe our faith doesn't feel quite so alive. We need to lean on another's light in those moments. Help us to remember that. Lord, for those of us who are struggling with our appetites, our ambitions, our need for approval, let them not get the best of us. It's not just about our own willpower, Lord. It's about hearing your voice instead of all of the noise that's out there instead. Help us to do that, Lord. Give us the courage to admit things about ourselves that maybe we haven't done before. Let us seek forgiveness in you. Help us to repent. Heal us, Lord. Transform us. Teach us new things. That's what we want, Lord. And may you bless us with the freedom and the power that you promise through your spirit. We ask this in your name.